We will now read from Matthew 11, 25 to 27. You can follow along in your own Bibles or from the words on the screen. Friends, hear the word of the Lord. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and reveal them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal to him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Hello, church. I'm glad to be with you all in journeying in our series, Summer School, Praying with Purpose. I'm curious what Jesus' prayer of thanksgiving has to say towards our prayer life. And if you haven't met me, my name is Lily, and I co-direct the High Rock Cambridge Ministry with my husband, Greg. And we have two children, James, who's three, and Manny, one. Uh, and we go to parks and playgrounds a lot. We live in an apartment in the city, and getting outside has many clear benefits. But for our toddlers, it allows them to engage, play safely by themselves or with other children, and gets us outside as well. And at these playgrounds, there's likely a smaller playset for younger kids and a bigger playset for older kids and swings for all ages. But inevitably, at these playgrounds, the big kids always end up taking over the smallest, the smaller playset. Or the older kids are playing way too rough for the younger kids. And the older kids are likely unsupervised because they are older. And I am left to helicopter parent my toddlers the entire time. But have you heard of a tot lot? A tot lot playground has restrictions. Where the big kids aren't allowed in them, this playground is only for toddlers between the ages of one and five. And for toddlers or parents like me, these restrictions are so helpful. They are an invitation for smaller, younger children to play safely. And I know my kids will have more opportunities to play with other toddlers too. And here, The older kids truly have nothing to do but sit on a bench or get stuck in a small slide. Honestly, it's a win-win. And similarly, there are plenty of other restrictions that we set on youth for their own good, like rides and activities that you must be this tall um, so they can be enjoyed safely. Also, age restrictions on driving a car, renting a car, voting, getting a tattoo. Restrictions can be good. And in our passage today, Jesus shows us that he has restrictions too. Jesus prays, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. There is a lot going on in this passage. What are these things? They seem to be important as they are being hidden from the wise and learned, yet revealed to little children. And at first glance, that's kind of the opposite of our culture. I thought being wise and learned was expected or a good thing, not being childish and immature, right? What is happening here? Why is Jesus restricting others? Why is he showing who is in and who is out? Who gets access to these things and who does not receive access to them? Isn't Jesus supposed to be welcoming to all? These restrictions are what keep others out of the church and away from Jesus. A quick Google search says restrictions hope to limit and control or control someone or something for the benefit of the community. 
Atat Lot's restrictions limit older kids from damaging equipment and attempting con to control the safety of younger kids. Just like at a pool, there is a sign that warns younger children and those who cannot swim that they should not swim without a lifeguard present. A pool's restrictions are for your safety, which is a good thing. COVID pandemic restrictions hope to limit the spread of COVID and control who had COVID to stop it um, impacting other communities. Yet, as we age, the sense of restrictions can get messy. We don't want to have restrictions. Even when we know they are for our good, we don't like them. And we can think of many instances where restrictions end up being harmful or wrong by excluding people or putting them at a disadvantage somehow. Restrictions that put them out of what was considered in. We even have personal restrictions that we can't always control like our own mental and emotional health. While I might try to set better boundaries and meet with my therapist, I am still tired. I am aware of my own limitations and it definitely impacts my ability to connect with to others. And yes, I know Rihanna only has 24 hours in a day like me, but somehow my 24 hours don't seem to go as far. Work is demanding, parenting is demanding, keeping the house in working order is demanding, and what about having any time for fun? The reality of life creates natural restrictions that we often can't control. We probably also have ideas about what restrictions other Christians ought to have. While an undergrad, I was deeply involved in college ministry as a small group leader, then an evangelism outreach coordinator, and finally as chapter president. I had a clear idea of the restrictions a Christian should obey, uh, should abide by. No swearing, no underage drinking, no skipping church or Bible study, no sex before marriage. And looking back, I can see where my restrictions cause people to feel in or out of our Christian community. By making people feel left out of our fellowship, some people felt like they should also assume they were out of Jesus' embrace as well. I thought I was helping the community live in Christ-likeness. Instead, I was narrowing Jesus down to check boxes or unchecked boxes and pushing people away from Christian community and Jesus. We all have ideas about what restrictions are best, even when it comes to prayer. But maybe we're not even taking into consideration what Jesus prayed for and what Jesus gave restrictions for. Why does Jesus have restrictions for us? This is what makes Jesus' prayer so challenging is probably not a prayer that any of us have prayed before. It seems to play into this in and out dynamic that we like, but if we're honest, we are much more likely to find ourselves on the outside of things. Because the people that are inside are little children. And I know I'm definitely not included when Jesus says little children. I spent all my energy literally trying to be wise and learned. <laughs> what does this mean then? Is Jesus kicking us out? Thankfully, the passage right before gives helpful context about why Jesus is praying this restrictive prayer. Matthew eleven twenty to 24 says, Then Jesus began to denounce the towns where he had done so many of his miracles because they hadn't repented of their sins and turned to God. What sorrow awaits you, Chorazin and Bethsaida? For if the miracles I did in you had been done in wicked Tyre and Sidon, their people would have repented of their sins long ago. 
clothing themselves in burlap and throwing ashes on their heads to show their remorse. I tell you, Tyre and Sidon uh, will be better off on Judgment Day than you. And you, people of Capernaum, will you be honored in heaven? No, you will go down to the place of the dead. For if the miracles I did for you had been done in wicked Sodom, it would it would still be here today. I tell you, even Sodom will, will be better off on Judgment Day than you. Yikes. Jesus is telling the towns of Chorazin, Bethsaida, and Capernaum, which I will now call KBC, that they will receive judgment. But why? So Tyre and Sidon and um, Sodom were pagan cities, whereas KBC were Jewish. KBC had seen Jesus' power, authority, compassion, forgiveness. Miracles were done in the KBC towns. And Jesus revealed himself to these townspeople. I mean, KBC should have been the ones to get it, but they miss what God is doing. The KBC towns unrepentant and did not seek God for forgiveness. We can expect this from the non-Jewish towns, right? The ones that worship other gods, they wouldn't care much about Jesus. But these Jewish towns, KBC, they should have been following along easily. Within KBC, maybe you can recall the town of Capernaum. It is where Jesus did most of his ministry, which included miracles. Verses 23 and 24 show that Capernaum was proud of the ministry Jesus did in their town, right? A prophet was with them so much. Who wouldn't boast about that? But for all their supposed excitement about Jesus, they didn't really recognize him for what he was. They didn't get what he was doing though they thought they were on the inside with Jesus, but in reality, they were on the outside. And this reminds me of another group of people who are tragically self-deceived. They think they're in, but actually they don't recognize it at all. And I'm talking about supposed fans of the United States women's national soccer team. In case you didn't know, the FIFA Women's World Cup is happening right now. But when Kelly O'Hara, four-time U.S. women's national team wingback, took to the streets to see how in the know Americans were. She asked people to name any women soccer players, and no one could do it. But after many people said no to knowing any women soccer players, there's a moment when a guy off camera yells, Kelly O'Hara. Kelly was shocked and asked, how do you know her, me? The guy says, oh, she went to my high school. Kelly says, me? The guy said, no, Kelly O'Hara. And then he realizes, that she is Kelly O'Hara. <laughs> and many of us have been there, including myself, where we know of someone, but we don't know them. But the difference between this World Cup situation and the Capernaum situation is Capernaum had lots of up-close personal experience with Jesus and really knew him. They witnessed Jesus' authority over land, animals, and humans. They witnessed Jesus speak of his Father in heaven, They witnessed Jesus teach and speak truth. Jesus revealed himself to them as the son of God. And that joy and experience turned into boasting and pride of what Jesus did and not who he was to them. They believed they were going to be exalted and honored in heaven. They witnessed Jesus, yet did not live like they knew Jesus. Have you been there? Have you ever experienced something miraculous while following Jesus? Poor grades turned into passing. 
mental or physical health being restored. Immigration papers finally approved. Someone finally comes to church or small group or someone becomes a follower of Jesus. Who is Jesus to us after we experience him? Is Jesus solely a symbol of provision or hope and nothing changes within us? Is Jesus just a God and not human? Is Jesus no longer of use, just a good thing to keep you on the in and not out? When I, be- when I become prideful and boastful in what Jesus did for me, I put myself at the center of my success and status. I have good grades only from studying. I am healthy because I have a therapist. My friend ten- attends church because I invited them. My neighbor is a follower of Jesus because I invested in them. And yes, there is truth in most of these statements, but that is not life-giving. And we can see that in Matthew 9. Jesus brings and offers life to the paralyzed man, sick woman, dead girl, and blind man. And yes, they each had a part in receiving life, but they could not receive life alone, which is why they themselves and or their community sought Jesus. These people who were in search of life came to Jesus in need, well aware of their own limitations in the face of incredible adversity. They were vulnerable about their need for a new, full life. And some of us have had moments like that, and Jesus met us in incredible ways. But if that was the end of it, you know, and once pain, once our pain point was resolved, we arrived as Christians, then we are likely to become just like the wise, learned KBC people. And I think Jesus restricts us, the wise and learned, so that we can see what is true and life-giving. Jesus says that these things, truth and life, are revealed to little children, not the wise and learned. And again, that's a bit different from our culture. And so many of us have not been little children, adolescents, in a very long time. Some of us have not interacted with children in a long time either. So this could feel unfamiliar. But children are, how do you say, free. There is a freedom that children have. The curious questions they ask are fun and challenging. Their imagination is very creative. Their vulnerability is humbling. Their faith in trusted adults is absurd. And my son, uh, James, is quite obsessed with me. (laughs) I love him so much, yet I am an introvert and have a low capacity for physical touch. And I have a toddler that loves me. He has grown to play independently, a skill I did not know needed to be taught. And as he plays independently, we've taught him to ask for help if he needs or wants something. But if you are a parent, you know that I don't know if this was actually a good or bad thing to teach him because he says, Mama, I need something or Mama, I need you. And as a result, he calls me for all the things. And you know what? I think it does work because he seeks my help for important requests changing his poopy diaper, helping with something out of reach to help his little brother who won't stop crying. And he also seeks my help for mundane requests, socks that he has already put on halfway, a water bottle in the room he's in, a stuffed animal that he left in the room he was just in. And sometimes he doesn't even need my help. He just wants an excuse to get my attention. But what is clear to me is that my son James really feels the freedom, confidence, and faith to ask me for anything, repeatedly, even when I say no. And while that tests my patience and compassion sometimes, in all honesty, I wish I had the same level of trust, vulnerability, 
and faith in Jesus, the same confidence and freedom to talk to him this way, to dream and pray for the unimaginable. And I want my kids to continue to have this childlike freedom throughout adulthood and life. I mean, James knows that I can provide, answer his questions, be a listening ear, and teach him things. James believes and has witnessed that Greg and I, his parents, add to him experiencing truth and having a full life. It is a choice for him to seek us. And I wonder if this posture of little children is who Jesus reveals his truth to. The people in Matthew 9 came to Jesus like little children. And I even believe the towns of KBC used to be in the posture of little children too. But then they changed. Into what? Into adults. In our society, grown-ups are expected to be wise, learned, and educated, mature, important, all-knowing, self-sufficient, capable of solving everything on their own. But if we're honest with ourselves, how often are we actually self-sufficient? Totally competent and all-knowing. Are we ever as competent as we project ourselves to be? No, we're not. Because we're human, we're limited, we have restrictions, and so we need help. You know, we feel weak, we don't have all the knowledge. And this gap is never more obvious than when an 18-year-old goes off to college. They are riding the high on their college acceptance, their AP scores, or whatever. But suddenly, they have to do their own laundry. Set up doctor's appointments, pay bills, pay taxes. And typically, there are a lot of calls to parents or other adults for help. Yet a part of being human is to need others and help. There is freedom to be in need. Jesus actually invites those in need to him. At the end of Matthew 11, Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for my gentle and humble heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Here Jesus invites the weary and burdened to him, those in need, those with childlike faith. Jesus does not invite the strong and powerful to him. And if you think that a life, a full life, is in worldly things, you won't be a part of living in God's kingdom. You won't actually experience a full life. Instead, Jesus says, come to me if you are in need. My kingdom is for those who know they need me. The children, the penitent, the weary and burdened, you are invited in. James has a sweet, a strong sweet tooth and weekly will ask for ice cream for breakfast or any time of day, really. We've told him that dessert is a sometimes food. We put restrictions on his intake of ice cream for his health and well-being and, I don't know, for our sanity. Some may disagree, but too much ice cream can harm him. As Greg and I continue to offer James a restriction and limit on ice cream, we hope that he chooses a healthier life, a full life. And at this age, he doesn't have much agency and looks to us for guidance and help. So we hope that as he becomes an adult, he will choose a healthier life with more veggies and less sweets. And as a parent, I will continue to offer him a full life, and I hope he chooses to receive it. But for me, I am restricted from full life when my, in my experience as a parent. And parenting of any kind or form is hard work, whether biological, adopted, legal guardian, or informal caregiver. Taking care of others is fraught with tons of questions around work, home, discipline, and decisions. Should I leave work 
to be more present with my kids? What daycare or school should I send them to? Why aren't they listening to me? Gentle parenting is more like get yelled at parenting. And in my many moments of fatigue, anxiety, burden, and weary, I tend to reach for the right answers and the quick fixes to provide truth in life. There has to be someone out there who has cracked the parenting code, found the right work-life balance, or made the right choices. There are more than 7 billion people on earth. One of us has to have the right answers, right? If only I had the right answers, then I'll be a good parent, have a great work-life balance, or make better choices. Instead, when I choose everything but Jesus, I am found lifeless. I experience more burnout, irritation, and less patience. Because parenting advice and resources are important, but only as much as they help connect me more to the source of life. When I'm finding myself lifeless, my soul has an issue. In those moments deep in my soul, I believe that this world has more to offer than Jesus. I've experienced joy and restoration from seeking God before, but parenting about parenting at work. Yet I continue to seek worldly resources right? The resources of this world will not give me full life. Instead, I need to come to Jesus first. Because Jesus invites me, all of me, to come to him as a child. As a little child myself, I can share my worries, fatigue, and anxiety freely, without shame, rejection, or wrath, because Jesus invites me in and offers life, full life, Jesus' prayer of restriction shows that there are gifts in life for those who want it. Jesus' prayer of thanksgiving is a wake-up call to those who don't know Jesus, those who have strayed away and chosen worldly wisdom, and those who struggle to maintain full life with Jesus. We all seek truth and life in the world. But like the people in Matthew 9, we all, have, all we have to do is say yes to Jesus' invitation to life. Jesus always gives us a choice. Jesus was never far away from the towns of KBC, even though they chose worldly wisdom and praise. Here, Jesus' restrictions remind us that we are always invited in, even if we are out. There will always be more of God for those who want him and are willing to say yes. Saying yes to full life is a daily invitation for for me. While I acknowledge that I cannot provide myself truth and life without Jesus, even the sacrament of communion can be a weekly invitation to recognize your limitations and pride and receive Jesus' love, truth, and life. Welcoming prayer is a spiritual discipline that welcomes Jesus into the now, the state of your heart, mind, body, and soul. As you become vulnerable and childlike with Jesus, you welcome Jesus in. I turn to welcoming prayer when I begin to feel pride and a lack of control. Internally, I want answers right now from other wise and learned people. But welcoming prayer invites me to pause, not seek answers immediately, and be reminded that whatever happens next and however I'm feeling, that Jesus is with me. Jesus is with me in the restrictions of life, my own limitations and capacity, in parenting, in my relationships, in injustice, even when I am uncertain with my own faith journey. Jesus is welcomed into my now and offers me life by trusting him. So I want to invite you to say yes to Jesus. 
this corporate prayer uh, of welcome, welcoming prayer, um, is a reminder that Jesus is always near and offering you full life. This prayer is for those who don't know Jesus but want to, those who know Jesus and have strayed away and chosen worldly wisdom, and those who know Jesus and struggle to maintain a full life. If you don't know if this is you or not, it likely is. <laughs> Let's pray this prayer of welcome together. Welcome, Jesus, welcome. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you are patient, compassionate, and good. I welcome you. I have chosen worldly things over you. I repent. Forgive me. I welcome you. Open my eyes to see and notice you. Remind me of your truths. I welcome you. Help me to come to you like little children. Thank you for always offering me full life and inviting me in. I welcome you. You are worthy to be praised. Amen. Thanks be to God.